and welcome. Good morning. If we've met, never met before, my name is Anna. I'm part of the team at KXC. And we're finishing our series on the announcement of good news. We've been, we've been looking at Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 4. And I'm going to read them out just as we begin. And that, but before we do that, I'm just going to pray. Father, we ask that your spirit would come. Jesus, that you would come and you would stir up in us this good news, that we would receive it afresh for ourselves, that we would have greater confidence in this message. Jesus, we open ourselves up to you and for you to speak this morning. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities, oh, sorry, <laughs> that have been devastated for generations. Sorry, I got a bit eager there. I forgot that you could see what I can see. Um, so, um, so we were due to finish this series next week, but we've got some significant updates as a church coming up for you. I'm just not going to say any more than that. Um, so we've decided to kind of bring together the last two talks. So this was the plan. Yeah, so this was the plan, the six-week plan. This is what we are going to do. We're going to take that last talk and we are going to move it into this talk. Prophecy fulfilled, rebuild, renew and restore. Yes, can you believe I got my worst mark in, um, in my GCSEs in IT? How far I've come. <laughs> anyway, so we're mer merging the two talks, which means I get double the length, obviously, settle in for a 50-minute talk. Um, but they do work well together because the prophecy fulfilled, this, this prophecy is fulfilled in the person of Jesus, which impacts our renewing work that we do nowadays. So in the heart of this message, what I want us to hear is how hope-filled the gospel is, how full of hope this message is. Not in a wishful thinking kind of way, not in a kind of delusional, let's just pretend that pain doesn't really exist kind of way, but actually a very real hope that is secure and will not disappoint. And hope feels incredibly needed at the moment, doesn't it? And we come to the end of a very strange year, which has been full of pretty much, well, it's been full of disappointment. Things that we've longed for haven't happened. Things that people have, we've had snatched, we've suffered grief and loss of people, jobs not um, losing jobs, and things just not going our way. And for some of us, I know that the disappointment has shaken our faith. It's made us question things. And I want to say to you that actually questioning things isn't a bad thing. Having your faith shaken isn't necessarily a bad thing. I can look back at significant moments in my life. For example, when my cousin died um, after just getting um, engaged, he died of CJD, um, the human form of myocardial disease, and it shook me. I was quite a new Christian, and it shook me, and I had to wrestle with God. What does it mean that God is good when things like this happen? But the, the, the wrestling with God didn't make my faith weaker. It actually made it stronger. So I encourage you, stay in the wrestle. Ask the questions. God is able to, to deal with it. 
And while this year hasn't shaken my faith, it has made me ask questions about where I'm putting my faith and where I'm putting my hope. And as I've been working through that myself, I've seen other people like desperately snatching for hope, snatching for, for somewhere where they can put their faith, where they can experience being saved. And our hope is not going to be found in a vaccine. Our hope is not going to be found in a government or a political movement or even, dare I say, the NHS. Our hope isn't going to be found in everything going back to normal again, when we can travel again, when we um, experience like a pain-free existence. If, I can promise you, if you're putting your hope and waiting for hope to come, when you experience those things, you will be disappointed. Our hope resides in a person. And all the things that we've heard from this passages, passage, ashes to beauty, mourning to joy, despair to praise, all of that hope comes from the person of Jesus. This passage, Isaiah 61, is fulfilled in the person of Jesus because he has done it. He will do it. And he is doing it. He has done it because the historical person, Jesus, who existed in time and in space with a name, with a mother, as an actual human being, he lived on this earth and he answered the question, who is God? When we look at Jesus, we see the face of God. And what does he do? He announces good news. He brings a celebration instead of a funeral. He turns ashes into beauty and takes people's despair and gives them hope. He says that the favor of God is available to you. He gives freedom to the captives. We read in Luke 8, just in Luke 8, you see how this, this man is tormented by demons, cutting himself, and then Jesus sets him free. You see a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, and Jesus um, heals her, but what he says is, your time as an outcast is over. Come into family. We see it time and time again in the Gospels with Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who is a thief, who is a traitor, and yet Jesus says, you're forgiven, and you um, enter into a family again. Jesus' life fulfills this scripture. And Jesus even says it himself in Luke 4. It's like the biggest mic drop moment that we have in the Bible, where he gets up in the synagogue and he reads out this passage. And then he says to the silent room, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He then actually then picks up the microphone, says some more things, and they try and throw him off a cliff. But that's another thing. Jesus' life fulfills this scripture, but ultimately in his death and in his resurrection. Through his death and resurrection comes the assurance that life is pulled out for all people for all time. And this hope isn't a vague fancy, but historic events that Jesus was um, born of a woman amongst animal poo. And the docu documented events of Easter actually happened that God died for us, but it was impossible for death to hold him down. And he is alive. This is the concrete assurance that he has done it, that gives us the hope that he will do it. This defeat over sin and death 2,000 years ago wasn't just some kind of like party trick. It was the first fruits of the new creation. That one day that he was demonstrating what is to come, that one day death will be no more, that all the effects of sin will be wiped away, the broken bits will be restored, that he will do it. Damalola read out um, Hebrews 6, verse um, 19 to 20. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where the forerunner, the one who has gone ahead, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He is the forerunner. And because of this, we have an anchor that is for our souls, which is firm 
and secure. He will do it. He has done it. He will do it. And he's doing it. I stand before you as a testament to the fact that he is still doing this Isaiah 61 work. I have been set free from so much that used to entangle me. I have been forgiven and I know that there is resurrection life at work in me. I'm a witness to the resurrection because I can see that Jesus is alive. I know him and his spirit is available. I became a Christian. Sorry for those um, who know this story already, but I became a Christian uh, when I was in my bedroom when I was 18, living down in Cornwall. I was a classic 18-year-old full of insecurities and questions, and I'd been taken to church as a kid, but I wouldn't say that I was a witness to the resurrection because I hadn't encountered the living presence of Jesus. And one night in my room, I prayed a very dangerous prayer. I said, God, if you are real, would you show me you are real? And this came off the back of, of months of feeling like Jesus was hunting me down. I'd seen verses on the inside of a bus. I'd seen this really naff poster which said, Jesus in your heart, revolution in your life. Um, and I kind of got to this point. I was like, okay, are you there? If you're there, would you show me you're real and I'll follow you properly? And then the next night, um, I was in my bed and I felt like I should read my Bible. And I went to look for my Bible in my cupboard and I couldn't find it. So I went back to bed. And then I ha um, had this picture in my mind's eye and felt this wish whisper, second shelf at the back of where my Bible was. And I went to, to the cupboard and sure enough, it was exactly there, second shelf at the back. And I picked it up and I opened it up, this kind of children's good news Bible. And I opened it up and it fell open on a psalm all about God's mercy. And this, this presence filled the room as the risen Jesus came and encountered and met me in that moment. And I did actually, um, I don't often say this bit, but I did actually after that encounter, I, because it was so profound, I, I didn't actually talk to anyone about it. And I remember the next day sitting in the bus and thinking, gosh, I know this God is real. But what happens if he's not the Jesus God? What happens if I should become a Muslim instead? Um, but then I realized that every single thing leading up to that moment had all been about Jesus. So I went for being a Christian anyway. But, um, but since that moment, I have experienced the, the Isaiah 61 thing happening within me. And I'm just one story in a thousands, in thousands and millions. And I see this Isaiah 61 um, work happening within our community. We see it in our student community, a group who are so on fire that there's something about them. You look at them, you're like, there's something that has captured your hearts. You're different. There is joy amongst you. We hear it in, our, um, in, the, in Pentonville, the community Luke and Karis Carson journey with. We hear of it through our hubs. We hear of it through the story of someone who's part of our church, who is a refugee from Iran, who came to faith in Iran, but then was forced to flee his home when his church house got raided. If you missed that interview, I encourage you to go into kxc.org.uk forward slash stories. You'll find it there, finding faith in Iran. These are things that are happening in our community. These are people with the stories that, that, have, that can tell the story of today. Um, Isaiah 61 has happened to me. Jesus is doing it. He continues to fulfill this scripture. And for those who follow Jesus, this is our message, that he has done this work in me. He has forgiven me. He's declared that I am favored, that I am loved, that I am set free. Jesus has fulfilled this scripture. He did it, he will do it, and he continues to do it. But what does that relate to nowadays? What does it relate to our role within this? Well, at the end of the, the passage we've been looking at, um, you'll read, uh, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting for the Lord and for the display of his splendor. 
They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. If we get that slide up on the screen, you can see, you can ask the question, who are the they? Who are the they in this passage? Who are the they that are called oaks of righteousness? Who are the they that rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated? Who are the they that um, renew the ruined cities? They are the ones who have had their brokenness restored. And God says, I'm going to take you. Aren't you who have had your ashes turned to beauty? I'm going to take you and I'm going to make you a display for my splendor. And I'm going to take you and I'm going to make you the renewer. I'm going to make you the rebuilder. I'm going to make you the restorer, that you're invited into this work. What Jesus won for us on the cross wasn't just a future hope, or though it was that, it was a present commissioning to be involved in the renewing work that he is doing. And we look in um, 1 Peter 2, it says, um, if you can get that up on the screen, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. There's so much I want to say about that verse, but what I want to zoom in is the the phrase royal priesthood. You may remember when we started Isaiah 61, we talked about this figure, this anointed one. What does it mean to be anointed? Who is this anointed one? And we said, well, actually, to be anointed is to be someone who is a king or a priest. And all of this was fulfilled in Jesus, that Jesus was that anointed one. But when you read 1 Peter, it says, who, is the, who are those anointed ones? We are. Those who have been called out of darkness into his light, we are now called anointed ones. We are now the royal priesthood. Every single one of us, anointed for a purpose. And what is our purpose? Well, our purpose is to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom from the prisoners. And we will see people's ashes turn to beauty. We will see despair turn to joy. We will see hope renewed. And he will anoint us for this work to do it right here, right now, whether you're in um, university, in the workplace, amongst your families, amongst your friends, in your neighborhood. That is what he wants to anoint you for. And as we finish this series, it just feels right to say that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray for God's anointing to fall upon us as his people, that we would be commissioned afresh to do this work, to see all of the things that we've heard, all the stories that we've heard to be done in our time and to be done through our hands as we take on this commissioning that Jesus says to be, be like him, to do the works that he does.